You're listening to a message from Pastor Jack Holt at the River. Tonight I want to talk about the importance of thinking big. And I don't say that for the purpose of being arrogant or anything else, but if you're going to have faith in the day that we live in, to overcome, you have to enlarge your thinking. How many know that little faith is great, but little faith, all it does is slow down the process of whatever the enemy's doing in your life, but it doesn't overcome it. That's why Jesus told people, he said, stop worrying all the time. Stop saying, what shall we eat? What? And he said that they had little faith. And because of that, God was not providing for them. And there was this gradual decline in their life. I want to show you tonight in Scripture how to think in a bigger way in Christ so that God can do something big in your life that will affect your family and your neighbors and your friends and everyone else. Are you ready for it? So turn with me to John's Gospel, chapter 14, and I'm going to show you a, a verse that Jesus taught before his betrayal and before he went to the cross. He was preparing them. How many know the last words that Jesus said before he gave up his life for us are really important words? And these were things Jesus taught them before. He said this, most assuredly, and that, that word assuredly is translated amen or verily, verily. It's a word that means let, uh, let it be. And it's a word that was used when God's law was spoken. God said, say amen, which means let it be so. And so when, it's, when you see that, it means that Jesus wants you to really pay special note to it. I say unto you, and he's not just talking to the apostles, but anyone. He who believes in me, that includes us, right? The works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask, my, my, uh, ask in my name, that I will do, that your Father, my Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you do ask anything in my name, I will do it. The word ask can be translated demand or require. It's a very forceful word. And Jesus said this because he wanted the church to do more than just wait until they die to go to heaven. He wanted the church to believe in faith that we could change our culture, that we could change the present evil in our life and overcome it. That's why Jesus told his disciples to pray that kingdom come, that will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's a lot of things being done on earth that God doesn't do in heaven. Can you say Amen. But I wanted you to see that verse because he says, you're going to be able to do bigger and better things than what I've done. And Jesus did some pretty outstanding things, didn't he? In fact, I did a little research on this, especially with me because I, I believe in reaching the multitudes. I discovered that when Peter did his first sermon after the resurrection, it was in the temple, and at the temple at that time, uh, to give you an idea how big it was, it would hold 210,000 people. And it had all these columns in it, and uh, it is estimated that when Peter came out of the upper room and began to preach to them, and he ministered to about 50,000 people. But what I want you to understand is this, that had never happened in Jesus' ministry. 
The most that he ministered to was the multitude uh, that he fed. You remember the 5,000? So you're looking at maybe 20,000 people he was preaching to. So Peter at Pentecost actually preached to a bigger crowd than what Jesus did. Now, this, and now this is, uh, these are the works Jesus says will be greater than his works. And also, I found that the church of Laodicea is the last church that the book of Revelation talks about. I, I, they found some ruins in the Laodicea to how big the church was. Let me give you an idea how big it was. It was 325 feet wide, and it, was, it would hold 20,000 people in, a, in, a, in seats. It had a 65-foot orchestra at the church of Laodicea. Now, this is right after, this 70 years or so after the resurrection, and there were churches that big. I, I watched this documentary the other night, and, I, and on it there was Billy Graham. And he was talking about his crusades in Korea. And the biggest crowd that has ever been preached to was, was preached by Billy Graham. It was 1,100,000 people. And you could just see it. It was, it was a mile long, and they had people packed in like corkwood. And thousands and thousands of people came to Christ. Now, Jesus says they will do greater works than he's done. And I don't believe the greater work was just during the time of Billy Graham. I believe the greater works are yet to come. When Christianity is going to overcome the culture to such a degree that the Communist Party will repent, such a degree that America will repent, and there'll be a revival in the world we've never seen before. But that's not going to happen if we're small thinkers. Satan always loves to divide and conquer. He hates it when the church gathers together. He hates it when people get together. And so I want you to apply this in your own life because the greater works apply to the carpenter, to the electrician, to the architect, to the nurse, to the doctor, to the housewife, to the person who's doing something that seems mediocre. If you're a believer, God's called you to a greater work in your life than what you've seen. He wants the supernatural power of God to operate through your life just like it operates through Jesus in a bigger and greater way than you had before. And I think the only way we can do that is to begin to think bigger about our lives. Not just enough to get by, but bigger and bigger and better. And I want to start with this. I believe that to have this kind of faith, mountain-moving faith, you cannot have a low self-esteem. A low self-esteem means that your value of yourself you don't feel is very much, which means you don't believe you deserve much. I'm inferior, I'm not worth this, whatever. And Christians in America and Americans, generally speaking, do not think of themselves in the light that they should. Now, I'm not telling you to be prideful and to have a high self-esteem of yourself without Christ. But when you believed on Christ, he imparted to you his righteousness, 
And the Bible says that as he is, so are you in this world. And so you don't deserve anything, but now you do because Christ is in you. And he deserves the best of the best. And so when you understand that and, and you understand how it works, let me explain it to you this way. This building has a thermostat. I don't know where it's at. But you set the thermostat and the building will adjust to whatever temperature is. If it's 74, 75, adjust to it. If it's hot outside, air conditioning kicks on. If it's cold outside, heat kicks on. And the inside of the house is controlled by this thermostat. There's a thermostat in you that is the identity or the way that you see yourself. See the value in yourself. And if that thermostat is not set high, you will never believe God for big things because you'll never feel like you're worthy of it. You'll never feel like you're deserving of it. You'll never feel like I deserve that kind of breakthrough or supernatural grace in my life. It's a thermostat that controls what comes into your life. And even when you get blessed with far more than you think you deserve, if your thermostat is set low, you will unconsciously make decisions that will undermine the increase that you have received in your life. Did you know that lottery winners, 70% of them end up broke? They end up divorced. Some of them have committed suicide. Why? Because their identity was low. And when they got blessed with that much money, because of what was on in the inside, which is unconscious to you, it's the subconscious, you start to make decisions that sabotage your success. That's why it's so beautiful when you become a Christian, because your value isn't based on what you've done. It's based on what Jesus did. As he is, so am I in this world. See, most people in America today, their value is based on what they achieve. If I can just make this much money, then I'll be cool. If I can just have this many kids, I'll be great. Or if I can just accomplish this, I'll be great. And they're like a dog chasing their tail because it's all based on what they can achieve. But when you come to Christ, it's different. You believe on him and he imparts to you everything he is. His righteousness is standing with God. And Jesus, there's no one that's going to argue here today that there's nothing too good for Jesus. Well, Jesus is inside of you. And when you get that revelation of who you are in Christ, you'll be able to think big and receive big and believe big in your life because of that identity. But to tell you that you automatically will see yourself in the full identity you are in Christ would be lying to you. It's a process of, of growth. You got to study the word and begin to meditate on who you are in Christ. And the more you identify that person, you become a new person. And to think big, you got to be different than what you are right now. To think big, you got to be a different kind of person. You got to be a Christ like 
person identity so that you feel like, man, if any kind of favor is going to come on me, man, there's no problem. I, it's not about my deservingness. It's about Christ in me. And I've been made in the image and likeness of God. And God, woo, man. But you won't be able to do it if your identity is based upon what you've been doing. The thermostat inside of you will throw off even the greatest blessings. We've all seen people like this. You know, we talked to, I've talked to women that have low self-esteem. I set, we try to set them up with a man and, and because they have a low self-esteem, they end up attracting us, the Antichrist. If they just saw themselves in the right light. That it's no longer them, but it's Christ in them. Jesus said it this way. He said, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask what you wish and it shall be given. Now, it doesn't mean that, and, and another verse in verse 4 says, you can do nothing without me. Now, that doesn't mean that when God gives you something, he gives it to Jesus. It doesn't mean he still gives it to you, but you have to abide in him. If you abide in his righteousness, abide in his love, abide in his peace, abide in his authority, abide in it, then whatever you ask, God will give you because when God looks at you, he sees his son. Right now, it'd be a good time to praise God, right? Come on, church. So the way you see yourself will determine how big you can think and actually receive. The Bible says we're to have the mind of Christ. It says that we're to set our mind on things above. Well, things above are everything under Jesus' feet. So your thinking radically changes from that. And we all, we've all grown up in this world where teachers tell you, well, you're just, you know, you're not this or that. Or maybe a parent says you're this and that. But it's always based on what you do. But only in Christ does our identity is firm and establish, I am what I am by the grace of God. I am because of what Christ is in me. As Jesus is, so am I in this world. And Jesus said, you're going to do greater works than I did because I go to the Father. So I don't know about you, that really helps me because for years I've ministered to people that can't seem to get out of the mess they're in. And most of it is an identity crisis. They keep trying to do something to be someone instead of believing someone like Jesus and realize everything Jesus is, they are. It makes a big difference. Let me say it to you this way. In Psalms 84, 11, it says this. It said, God will withhold nothing from those who walk uprightly. Not talking about walking uprightly in your own morality. It's talking about uprightly in his righteousness. If you walk in his righteousness, there's nothing too good that God will keep from you. There's nothing that you are in a place that you don't deserve it. Because it's not your deserve, it's Christ's deserve inside it. You understand what I'm saying here? So I want to think big, and you can't think big without that. And here's the crazy part. Third John 2 says this, 
John, who was one of the oldest apostles, he lived to be 99 years old. And imagine, 99 years old without the medical treatments they have like we have today. And he said this. He said, I pray that you may be in good health and prosper just as your soul prospers. Which tells me this. God's only going to give you to the degree that your soul prospers. Only to the degree that you get the revelation of who you are in Christ. If you don't see yourself as a, a little Jesus instead of big Jesus, it's going to affect how God blesses you. So there's a spiritual growth aspect here where you grow. I, I knew when I got saved, I was a new creation. But I understand more now what, than I did when I started because I feed on those verses. Let me, let me give you a verse. Romans 8, 1 and verse 4, just look at it for yourself, is a verse that is great revelation of who we are in Christ. It says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Now, in some of your translations, it'll say at the end, who walk according to the Spirit. It's a bad translation. If you look in the original uh, Greek text on there, that's in, actually in the fourth verse where it says, who walk according to the Spirit. But the translator, didn't, he didn't, obviously didn't, couldn't handle the fact that Paul said there's absolutely zero condemnation in those who are in Christ Jesus with no conditions. Do you know what that means? That means, see, when people are condemned, they feel undeserving. Undeserving of a good husband, undeserving of a great job, undeserving of good favor, undeserving of a miracle, undeserving of a breakthrough, when they feel condemned. They're waiting for that sentence of condemnation to catch them up. I've been a bad person, whatever, whatever, whatever. And always looking over their back. And it always affects their decisions. But when you come to Christ, God removes that condemnation. I mean, it all. That, this agitates people that are self-righteous because they see somebody like me and see God bless them and they say, that's not right. I know him. I know he's not perfect. In fact, I've had him cut in front of me on, with his car. I've seen him raise his voice with his, with, his, with his wife. See, the part that you're missing is God doesn't save us after we're perfect. He saves us in an imperfect place. But because of Christ, as we believe on him, we begin to grow spiritually. We begin to change and become more Christ-like. And then behavior starts looking like Jesus' behavior. But when you first get saved, you're just a, an old shell with a new man inside. Am I the only one like that? Come on, church. I want you to see that. Condemnation. I would say this about condemnation. That whenever people have that underlining condemnation in their life, they totally feel undeserving of God's grace and favor in their life. They go out and there's a storm. If any ship's going to sink, it's going to be the one they're on. If there's a traffic jam, they're going to get stuck in it. When, when they're at the grocery store, getting in the line to do their grocery store, uh, get their food, they're always going to get in a line that's too long. Because it's their identities messes them up. 
they unconsciously are attracted to things that match up with the thermostat in their heart. I'm turning it up tonight for you, praise God. You're going to go home and say, man, don't mess with me, man. This new person inside, I'm ready to achieve. I'm ready to dream. I'm ready to break through, praise God. I'm a new man in Christ Jesus. Promotion's on the way. I'm a new woman in Christ Jesus. I shouldn't say that. I'm saying for the girls here. Nowadays, yeah, you never know nowadays, praise God. But wouldn't you agree that's probably the primary way the devil's messing people up today? When I grew up, there was no problem. Men knew there were men. Women knew there were women. And, uh, and uh, lesbians, homosexuals stayed in the closet. The devil's just trying to mess us up. Now, God loves the sinner. And it doesn't really matter what sin it is. He loves all the sinners. But your identity will determine your destiny. You need Christ in your life, that righteousness in your life. You need his holiness in your life. You need his love in your life in order to achieve the dreams that God has called you to. If you don't, you'll always hang on to the past. I'm this way because of how I was raised. I'm this way because I was on the other side of the track and I was under the barrel and all that kind of stuff. And you'll always be using the past as an excuse why you can't move forward. God says forgetting the past and reaching for those things that lie ahead, we have to reach for what Christ has provided for us. I wrote this down as a powerful statement. As long as you hang under the past failures, you will never be able to endure the future successes. Sure, yeah, you've been divorced, but don't hang on to it. Sure, you've been unfaithful, don't hang on to it. Sure, you've been a disobedient, don't hang on to it. Sure, you've been fickle, don't hang on to it. Because your faith will not be great if you hang on to it. Look at this verse with me, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Notice we were begotten by what? The word of God, right? John 1, 1, what does it say? In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. That means that you were conceived by the word of God, by God. If you take sperm in the natural, it takes on the genetics of the mother and the father. You have the genetics of your heavenly father. You're not just a new creation. You're a priest. You're a king. You're royalty. You're a child of God. Everything changes when you understand that. You're not a servant. You're a child of God that is serving the Lord out of a willing heart. Not because you have to, but out of a willing heart. You want to. You love him. You, he is your father, you are his child, and God wants you to accomplish great things in this life. So don't forget your heritage, your royalty. Oftentimes when I'm on one of those dream vacations, I always tell my wife, I, I say, and this is a thing my dad used to always say, I wonder what the peons are doing. And what he meant by that was, I wonder what ordinary people are doing. You are not ordinary. Now, if you're not saved tonight, you're ordinary. 
But if you give your Christ self, if you give your life to Christ, you'll become a child of God. As many as received him, he gave them the right. And that's the word uh, uh, ecclesia, which means to, uh, is the word for delegated authority. He gives you the authority to become the children of God. Woo, man, I tell you what, that is so good. Now, let me break this down to you and show you the power in this. So, if, so your identity is great. There's nothing that is good that God will withhold from you because of Christ's righteousness inside of you. Nothing. Nothing. Promotion, car, home, whatever. Absolutely nothing. But you got to know who you are. Now, there's a verse in Luke 17. I love it. It's when the disciples came to Jesus. He had told them, he said, listen, guys, I'm paraphrasing, obviously. I want you to forgive people as many times as they offend you. Don't put any limit on it. And Peter mouths off and he says this, Lord, increase our faith. Because he knew he didn't have enough faith because he's been around people too long. How many know that you can't, you, it takes great faith to forgive some people because they're animals. I watch the news sometimes and man, I just have to repent afterwards. I'm so mad. I want to, anyway, I can't even say it over the air here, but I get so mad at what people are doing to people. But yet Jesus said to forgive people. And he said this, he said, if you had faith as a mustard seed, you'd be able to say under the sycamore tree, which, by the way, is one of the trees that had the, the greatest root system in Israel. They got roots that go down like they've been there for 500 years. They're, they they're one of those kind of plants that just take up loads of space for the roots. And that's the way bitterness and unforgiveness is. Amen? Fills up your life. And Jesus says, if you have this kind of faith, you can say to this bitterness, if I could paraphrase that, and it would, once you hear this, obey you. In other words, your faith would obey you. It'll get the job done. And then he goes out and talks about if you have a servant and and he, you know, and he and he's your slave, he's working for you, whatever, and you send him out of the field to do something, you don't let him come and say, hey, I'm gonna take a break, I'm gonna feed myself, and then I'm gonna get to you. No, you say, finish your job first before you can eat. And what Jesus is basically telling us is faith grows when you are relentless in working it. Don't let it rest. Whatever you've declared over your life that God has revealed in your life, don't back off from it. Say, it's working, it's working. I'm going to sleep tonight, it's working. Praise God. And let that faith produce within you the results that you need in your life. Do you understand what this means? In other words, what I've believed for 20 years ago, I have not let go of. It's still working for me. I don't care about COVID. It's still working. 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 I'm not going to say, oh, sit down and sit here a while till the climate changes. No, you keep working, praise God, on what I declared in faith. Hallelujah. That faith will start working for you. It won't let up. Amen. And you got to have that kind of uh, faith for it. And 
I want you to always remember this, and this is a, a critical truth, that what is unseen is far more than what is seen. What we can't see is more abundant than what we can see. Let me explain what I mean by that statement. If you don't use your faith, all you'll ever receive in your life is what you've seen. But when you use your faith, because the invisible world is unlimited, your faith takes what is invisible and causes it to become visible in your life. You always have to live by faith, taking what is invisible and causing it to become visible in your life. That's exactly why Elijah said to his servant, you remember the story where the Syrians had surrounded Elijah and they wanted to kill him? And he sends the servant goes out probably to get water, looks and sees all these soldiers in the hills, thousands of them. Goes back to the prophet says, man, we're in trouble. And the prophet said, there's more with us than with them. And the, the servants think, wait a minute, one, two, where's, it, where's these other people? And he prays, he opens his eyes, and he sees chariots of angels. There's more in the unseen realm than there is in the seen realm. You want to break through in your life, you got to remember that. There's unlimited healing in the invisible realm. There's, a, there's an unlimited vision in the unseen realm. There's an unlimited resources in the unseen realm. All it takes is faith in God's word, and you begin to believe God for it, and God begins to manifest those things in your life. And everybody got excited right now. Say, praise God. I'm excited about that. Don't live from what you see. Live off what you believe in Jesus' mighty name. Amen? And it will bring you great success. Now, I'm going to give you truth right now that I think will really help you in this area. Because if we're going to do greater works than Jesus did, if we're going to think bigger than we've ever thought before, we need to know this. Whenever you get faith for anything from this word, it always comes with authority. In other words, God never gives you an assurance from the scriptures without also giving you authority in that area. So if you're studying the scriptures and you start getting faith for prosperity, particularly in the Old Testament where it says God has established you with wealth for the furtherance of the covenant, and you get verses like that and faith starts coming, there's always an authority in your faith for that increase. Same with divine healing. When you study the scriptures on divine healing and you begin to believe them, that he himself took up our infirmities and bore our sicknesses, that by his stripes we were healed, that her faith would save the sick. And if anyone committed any sins, they shall be forgiven and God would raise him up. And all the different verses on divine healing and faith comes, there's an authority there in your faith that needs to be recognized to receive what God has for you personally in your life. Now let me let me explain this to you. And write these down. Luke 9:1 and Luke 10:19. A lot of people go, well, the apostles had power and authority because they were the apostles. That's in Luke 9:1. But in Luke 10, did I tell you that, that verse 2? 10:19. 
he is giving out authority and power to, to 70 of his disciples. And he reads down and he says, these are babes. In other words, whenever you get faith, whether you're a baby or not in the Lord, there's authority in whatever you have faith for. Loads of authority. Authority able to change it, which means you have the authority to receive it. And this part I like, you got the authority to keep it. In other words, it doesn't matter if you're a baby Christian. You can receive God's faith from his word. And there's an authority that comes with it that not only gives you the ability to believe you receive it, but it gives you the ability to keep it from being taken from you. You don't sound too excited about that. In other words, it's your responsibility to use your authority. You got faith for something, use that authority. Let me give you an example. My, uh, one of my pastors at the local church that I uh, was saved at, uh, Pastor Richard Martin was my, the se- he was the senior pastor, but Pastor Don Olstrom, who's with Jesus right now, he was my other pastor. And many of you don't know, but he was a missionary in the Philippines before he was ever a pastor. And so he spent, him and his wife and family spent their life giving, 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 giving. Well, one day one of his relatives died and he inherited a multi-million dollar businesses. And these businesses were retirement homes. Now, some of them were uh, retirement homes that you would help people, uh, you know, that needed assistance. And others were just retirement homes, but they were all over the place. And he went from someone broke to a multimillionaire. And now today he would be a billionaire, but in those days it was multimillionaire. And he came to the church and he pastored. We never gave him a salary. He didn't need it. Had all the money that he needed. Had people running his company. Just wealthy. Well, I remember this story he, he told one time. And it was a very unique story because he said, you know, I, I've always believed that if you're a tither and a giver, that, that God puts a hedge of protection around your finances. And, uh, of course, the Bible t- teaches that. Well, all of a sudden, he's starting to have financial problems, major financial problems. So he goes to prayer and fasting and to the Lord about it. And the Lord speaks to him. And uh, uh, he tells the Lord, he says, I don't know what's going on. I've been tithing. I've been giving. And the Lord said, are you really tithing? And he didn't understand this, but what had happened was he was getting increased so fast that he stopped tithing, not intentionally, but he, was, he wasn't really giving 10% anymore. And he thought because he was writing checks for $10,000, you know, in an offering, that he was fine, but he was way under his tithe. He made that adjustment, and his financial hedge came back around him. All of a sudden, now he's got authority over his financial problems. Amen. And I seen the same man during the financial downfall. You remember old Black Friday when everything fell apart? And he cruised right through that thing. Cruised right through that thing. Here's what I want you to see. This is true not only with money. It's true with families. Now catch this. One of the questions I had raising kids is, Lord, my face should cover my kids. Cover them. You should cover them. And we had one bad, bad incident, but outside of that, 
There was God looked after everybody. But a question comes up sometimes with a, a family comes to church, brings their kids to church, all that, and the kids all just rebellious, get on drugs and all this stuff. And I said, where's the covering? Sometimes the reason why the covering has been lifted is because in your family, you have compromised. And you're allowing your kids to date unbelievers. Number one, that's a bad thing to do. You're allowing them to do things and be around people that are ungodly and to do things and to miss church and all that. And you wonder why the hedge is gone. Because faith has to be activated. Don had activated his faith, but not to the point that it brought the miraculous. Faith has to be activated. If you can't look in your life and say to, say to me, Pastor, uh, here's how I can prove my faith is activated. Here's the action that proves I have faith in that verse. If you can't show me that, then your faith is dead. There's got to be an action that releases your faith in an area. Now, once your kids get older and move out, that's not on you anymore. But when they're in your house, it's on you. Amen. People got choices. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching really good tonight. It's one of those CDs everybody needs to hear. Amen. Amen. But you got to be able to prove your faith. Don't tell me that you have faith for divine healing when you have no actions that correspond to what you believe. Don't tell me you have faith for missions if you don't give no money to missions. Okay, moving right along here at a very steady pace. Could we give God a praise offering right now so we can break through this? Amen. So I wanted you to see that because I believe that God wants you to give strong evidence that you have faith in things. You got to think big and act big, and that doesn't mean that you're cocky or whatever. It just means that there's a display of faith. If you're not praying, don't tell me you got faith for prayer. If you're the only time you pray is when you're in emergency, there's a problem. You got to decide, I'm going to act in faith on this, whatever it may be, and your faith will grow in it. I want you to look at this verse, Matthew 21, verse 28 to 31, and I want you to see the context of this. The verses that precede it is a discussion that Jesus had with the religious leaders. They said, by what authority are you doing what you're doing? And Jesus said, I'll tell you what, I will tell you about what authority I'm doing it if you answer my question. Did John the Baptist water baptize people by God's authority or not? They said that if they said not, the crowd would probably stone them. So they wouldn't answer the questions. He said, I'm not gonna answer you, but then he did teach this. Then he said this, but what do you think? A man had two sons and he came to the first and said, son, go to work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterwards, look at this, he regretted it and went. Then he came to the second and said, likewise. And he answered and he said, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of these two did the will of the father? 
They said to him, the first. Jesus said to them, assuredly, I say unto you that the tax collector and the harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. In other words, some of us didn't want to do what God wanted to do in the beginning. But we relented from it and we're doing it now. And some of you said, yeah, I'll do whatever you say, Lord, and you haven't done it. There has to be a proof of faith. That's what he's trying to tell them. Your authority will be limited. The Bible said submit to God and resist the devil and he'll flee. You've you got to submit to God. You can't submit to God unless you obey God. Say amen. I'm sure that's for someone else, not at this church. But I wanted to get that out. Amen? And let me close with this. In spiritual warfare, a lot of people think, okay, whatever we do, there's going to be spiritual warfare, so there's always going to be uh, problems and suffering in our lives and so forth and so forth. And they even take it to the degree that that's why I'm not delivered, that's why it didn't happen. I'm in this spiritual warfare. Please remember this. The enemy will always come at you but he doesn't have the right or the authority to defeat you. Sure, there were all those Egyptians that pursued Moses and the three million Jews, but they ended up drowning in the Red Sea. Sure, they took Daniel and cast him into the lion's den, but the lions didn't eat him. God shut the mouths of the lions and Daniel was delivered from it and was promoted at the same time. Sure, they took those three young men and threw them in the fiery furnace, but the furnace didn't burn them. It didn't scorch them. They didn't even smell like smoke. And they came out and God promoted them and destroyed their enemies. So yeah, there's going to be a battle. But the Bible said, whatever fiery dart the wicked one throws at you, the shield of faith will extinguish it. I said the shield of faith will extinguish it. See, you've been told too long, I've been told long, too long, we grew up this way, that there's a small amount of people, small fragment, two to three percent, that ever achieve anything great in their life. All the rest of us are average. And that's why there's hero worshipers today in America. We worship our sports figures. We worship this, this singer. We worship this person because they've achieved great things. Did you know that God wants every one of his brothers and sisters in Christ to achieve great things? The verse in Daniel says this. It says, they shall know their, it says those that know their God shall be strong and do great exploits. You are going to do great exploits tonight. Amen. Amen. Stand to your feet with me. Praise God. God's called you to do great exploits. God's called you to do that. Father, thank you tonight for your word. Thank you, Lord, for energizing us, Lord. And I'm praying right now, Father, those that have a low self-esteem of themselves and don't see themselves, they don't have their faith developed in who they are yet in Christ I pray that these words tonight will sink down inside of their spirit. And they'll never again say, I'm average. They'll never again say, I'm just an ordinary individual. They'll never say, I'm not that talented. Because there's nobody who's born of the spirit that doesn't have divine talent. That doesn't have divine skill. 
that doesn't have divine opportunities, that doesn't have an opportunity to do great things for the kingdom. Thanks for listening today. For more messages like this one, check out our podcast, River App, and our website at theriver.church. We're the river, and we're doing life together.